Welcome to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. Let's dig deep into real-world data breaches of patient information. We'll provide practical, expert advice to help you mitigate risk, understand compliance with privacy laws, and safeguard your clinic against all of the privacy and security threats facing healthcare today. Welcome back to Protect Your Practice. My name is Jeff. I'm your host. Uh, with us today, again, we have Rohit Joshi, Brightsquid CEO, who speaks uh, around North America on privacy compliance issues. We have Ingrid Rice. Ingrid has done thousands of privacy impact assessments and overseen regulation and understands privacy compliance uh, more deeply than probably anybody everywhere else will. <laughs> and then we have Catherine Klotchuk, who is our uh, PR consultant in this realm today, deals heavily with crisis communications, which is a big issue now that mandatory breach reporting is in effect across Canada and across the U.S., um, if you suffer a privacy breach, it's very likely that you're going to have to notify the patients. Um, in some cases, especially in the U.S., you have to tell the evening news um, that you've suffered a privacy breach in your clinic so that everybody's aware of the steps they need to take to protect themselves. So we're going to stop. We're going to jump in. Um, the first one we're going to look at here now is a breach that happened in Nova Scotia. Um, this was in the national news, actually, um, where uh, a clinic was repeatedly faxing mental health records to a spa, so a local business, and that spa notified the clinic repeatedly that they were receiving this information in error and they asked them to please stop. Um, and I think, you know, the advice even from the clinic was, well, why don't you change your fax number, um, which doesn't really solve the problem. So, Ingrid, what's, what's going on here? Well, a couple things. Um, of course, it comes. Um, it, it's really focused because it's mental health versus health. But the end result is it's a medical file and medical information, and you don't want any of that obviously exposed. Uh, the fact that the clinic, uh, the mental health clinic, didn't change their practices and continue to send them is just extremely poor business practice, and it violates the act over and over and over again. Various privacy legislations. But it's, um, it's, it's critical, right? And people are offended, and this is a huge risk of harm. Yeah, agreed. I mean, I, I think, you know, even making this much more personal for me, um, I spend a lot of time testing new technologies and new software, and I came home um, one time to a big stack of uh, papers from Blue Cross, which had been accumulating over the course of a month and a half or two months. And whenever it came into our fax machine at home, my wife would put it into a pile with a lot of my work stuff because she just assumed it was someone that was faxing something to me and I was testing some new piece of something or another. So this is common. It's not uncommon. I think everybody listening has this scenario. And, um, you know, the way the regulations are written uh, or the codes of practice, I think, or the codes of con- is is that if fax is used, it should be followed up with a phone call. That, in fact... You have, or, or sorry, before the fax is sent, you need to uh, ensure that the, the correct phone number is being used. That clearly wasn't followed. And uh, that wasn't followed in, in my example, wasn't followed here. Fortunately, in my example, you know, there was very little risk of harm. I was uh, informed the sender and shredded the documents. But there's nothing short of a stack of papers that was someone's Blue Cross records uh, that were sitting at, uh, sitting at my house. So, Catherine, this was in the national news, and we talk about, like, how do we keep things out of the news? But this made it there, and it was a big splash. What are the implications there for any? There's so many, because this is a small community, first of all. Like, I'm not sure what the population of Bedford, Nova Scotia is, but it's small. So we know that 
the people that are receiving those faxes would know who the people that are potentially a high risk of that would know um, the people that are being referred, right? So um, there's embarrassment on many different, public embarrassment on many different levels. Um, this is a clinic or a spa that had repeatedly requested them to change it. So when you think about what the story would be on the evening news, it would be that clin- that spa owner saying, you know, we have asked repeatedly. These are people we know we're getting their private health information. Um, this That would be a very... Um, from a reputational perspective, a brand perspective, um, this is something that would be really, really difficult to clean up for that re- uh, mental health referral office. From our perspective, getting it out of the news would be very challenging, um, considering um, how active breach reporting is in the news right now. If it, this would just be one of those stories that would be hard to kill, and it would be hard to um, repair it, first of all. It's, it's one thing to apologize for making a mistake once, but if we have to write an apology and train people to say an apology when they have repeatedly ignored a request to stop doing something that they were, that they knew was wrong, that it's not, it you can't up, say we made a mistake. You, know? you can't. And it's, it's almost unforgivable. It becomes negligence at some level. Like they did yeah. not have the processes in place to fix whatever the problem was. Why they kept sending them to the wrong record might be as simple as, you know, someone had the wrong sticky number. Um, and, and, and it's almost, it's inexcusable if it's been multiple, uh, multiple cases. Or, or it was programmed into the fax machine and nobody knew how to change the button. Right. Yeah, exactly. It was labeled with, this is the, well, I just, but I push the button and it, the button's not going to change yeah. unless somebody tells it what to do. Well, imagine answering that. So you get on the nightly news. So you're on CBC National News and they're asking you, why, how did this happen? To have to say, I didn't know how to change the button. The buttons confused me, right? And this is, these are people's mental health records that you're sharing. Like that's not going to be taken lightly. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to answer those questions in front of a camera. No. Well, and how many of those patients would leave that? physician or that mental health counselor, I mean, you would just be mortified. And and definitely so his financial loss, I mean, people would leave him in droves. Yeah, absolutely. So. It's, that's a business killer. It, from a brand perspective, it's, it's almost, um, it's not recoverable. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we know that there's research out there that shows that patients will travel over 40 kilometers or more, just if they believe someone isn't being safe, they're their information will go to find someone else who is right yeah so maybe just stop using fax machines is the lesson here <laughs> um so uh next um and this was something that came in that we saw uh and this is about a vendor so and it, it really comes to the importance of information manager agreements but a vendor uh inappropriately moved a patient list within their system um, and triggered a notification of those patients that never should have gone out saying, hey, welcome to this clinic. They had no affiliation with that clinic whatsoever. shouldn't have been there. Um, so, Rod, can you tell me more about what happened here? Yeah, you know, the, this is an interesting one because, um, you know, the, this is really difficult scenario where the practices um, have been trained. People have done the right things. And it was a technology vendor that basically took list A and incorrectly merged it into list or a clinic B's uh, mailing list. 
that's an oversimplification, but you get the idea. Um, and and here we are with, I think about twenty five hundred patients receiving welcome emails from a practice that they know nothing about because there was some confusion at the vendor's point. So the result of what happened then is patients quite angrily contacted their practice, the new practice said, get me off your list, I'm going to report you to the RCMP, and I'm going to report you for privacy breaches. And this happened, you know, the, the error from the vendor was a matter of minutes, but it triggered about 2,500 mail that was sent. The important part about this one for me is that there is, you know, with the privacy impact assessment that's, um, that, that many of the clinics have in Alberta now, um, there is an opportunity to actually push that liability to the vendor. And so that, you know, the vendor is ultimately responsible for it, which is all well and good for the, you know, the, the, the details of the law. And so you can, you can kind of push liability. But I'm interested in hearing what Catherine has to say about the reputational damage in this scenario, because it really is no fault of the clinics, but you still have to be ready for it. Yeah. So this one's this one was interesting because I thought about it a lot. If it's it is no fault of the clinic, but the clinic's patients and the reputational damage is significant. They look irresponsible. They look um, like they're not managing that information correctly. They look like they don't know what they're doing. And a follow-up email with an apology from the vendor is a potential in this situation, depending on all of the details and legal being involved. But um, most people don't read that kind of follow-up content, or they're annoyed by it. So apologies have to be written in a very careful, cautious way. Taking accountability has to be done carefully. And when you're not in control of that, as the clinic would be in this situation, the vendor would be in control of the messaging on the apology, but the vendor, it goes to the vendor's client or patients. Um, you can see how it would be hard to recover from this. So the, once reputational damage has happened, you can always, you can always work to repair it, but it does take time. And I don't think anybody can, um, think that an apology from a vendor would fix it. That would be a, um, a strategy that we'd look at. That would be a long-term strategy with multiple communications around how that clinic is going to protect that information going forward, how this is never going to happen again. Um, those kinds of things, a strategy would have to be created. And again, it's, it's quite a significant cost or expense to that clinic to continue to do that level of administration and communication. And so, Ingrid, how does an information management agreement protect a clinic in this case? Well, it definitely helps the clinic. It won't provide 100% protection, but these are the values of these information manager agreements and, and choosing your vendor wisely. Um, even though, in this case, it may have been a good vendor and everything else, clearly there was a miscommunication and a matching error, and that information management agreement will have liability clauses in there and indemnification clauses but the end result is how many have you actually got information manager agreements with and how important is that when you're evaluating and you're doing your privacy, you need to know that these vendors care, that they are going to protect that patient information as if it was their own. Yeah. And that they take responsibility for their actions. If they are the ones that mess up, that they're gonna they're gonna mm-hmm. help recover. And, you know, maybe like in this case, Catherine, there's a, there's a crisis communication cost, right? Right. So are they going to cover that? Because yeah, you're, 
it's hard when you're the one, you're the front face of this. Nobody has any clue who your vendors are or what they do. Uh, you're just going to get blamed. And what are they going to do to help you recover from their mistakes? Yeah. So that's a big issue. I think vendors, vendors are something that we talk about a lot with our clinics. Um, so the, the next one I want to look at, and this is something, you know, this is about an insurance company who suffered uh, a breach kind of, and it was, it was a really persistent group of people or one person that kept calling in to their customer service to try and get the login information to account so they could get into their system. Um, and I think in this case, it was 36 attempts and 37 got like the, this 37th got through. So this is something that could happen to any clinic. This could happen to any organization where people are trying to call and get into their system because of the value of, of patient information. Ingrid, what are the implications here and how do you protect from this sort of thing? Well, as we all know, there's um, thousands out there trying to hack into clinic information and clinical information. And in this case, whether it's an insurance company or whether it's a clinic, uh, you know, there's all sorts of phishing and, and cyber attacks that are happening. You need the due diligence at the front. You need that privacy training so that you're aware not to disclose this information. Uh, if it's over the phone especially, how can you verify the authenticity of the caller? If it's via email, same thing. There's so many areas to check and release of this information, it should never happen. And it's, it's an awareness and training. Uh, you know, from my perspective, um, we've seen lots of smaller examples of this type of it's, you know, and, and the domain is social engineering because essentially what's happening is someone here is trying to fraudulently obtain information that they shouldn't have. And so we're seeing quite a bit of that type of behavior. Um, it, it, but in smaller ways, uh, if we look at not necessarily social engineering, but, you know, we have examples that we're very familiar with where, um, you know, I, a, uh, a couple is going through a divorce. And they've got a child, and uh, the one of the parents will call in to uh, a, a clinic and say, "I'm just calling about my daughter, and I want to know what medications she needs to refill." Something as simple and as not as innocuous as that. Well, it turns out that something similar to that then ended up showing up in divorce, divorce proceedings because it was used as um, an element of an unworthy parent that they were living with was that this daughter had to be on multiple medications. Yeah. And so I think that, that to me, it, it describes elements of the same thing, which is you've got frontline staff that are the gateways to a tremendous amount of information, which used incorrectly can be extremely harmful. So what is the risk of harm? Uh, in this example, or, or in this example is, uh, risk of harm could be financial, but in actuality, it could be a whole other list of things like identity theft, or it could be, um, you know, uh, 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 theft or fraud or financial losses of other, of other uh, dimensions. Um, in the case that I mentioned, just in terms of, you know, our own experience, those end up showing up in a divorce proceedings and it can lead to custody changes. You know, it's, 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 an, it's an enormous amount of critical information that the front desk staff has. And I think that's kind of the point of this one for us is Unless people are well-trained about what they can and can't share, I think this there will be all shades of this. Catherine, how much do you want to work with clinics who have given out information to their patients 
just because someone called in and asked, like, that's a big task for you to have to recover from that with somebody. And we often say no because it's too late, right? Like if a clinic calls us in advance and says, you know, we want to do a lot of preparation work. We want to do some training around how to prevent these kinds of things from happening. Great. That's, that's the ideal client for us. And then when something like that does happen, we have everything ready to go um, to manage that kind of situation. When you talk about the risk of harm here, we don't really think about it from the patient perspective. That's, that's your area of expertise. We're thinking about it from the clinic's um, uh, damage and risk side. And, you know, this is one of those situations where you put sometimes your lowest paid entry level position person in front of a tremendous amount of information that is might make it to the nightly news as we've talked about before and we have to think about what the public will forgive and in this kind of situation like we see a lot of this happening where people will call senior citizens for example and obtain their banking information or get money from them and um, the public forgives that because because it's a, a vulnerable population that you, your clinician, your clinicians and your frontline staff protecting that information are not vulnerable. They should be trained. They should know better. They're not, the public is not going to forgive this easily. And for us to clean it up after something like this is really difficult to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, this, yeah. So stuff like this, it's yeah, totally inexcusable, uh, completely solvable with training. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I think that wraps us up for this episode. Any other comments on this before we before we sign off? So thanks for listening. What we've learned this week is really you need to have policies and procedures around everything that you do in your clinic, from how you use technology like fax machines. If you decide to continue to use fax machines, and the more conferences we go to, the more clinics we talk to, the more things we read in the news, we learn that nobody really should be using fax machines. Get your vendor agreements locked down. Make sure that you have. Uh, a clear understanding of your responsibilities and your vendors' responsibilities and that they do too. So get those signed off on and train, 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 train your staff, train yourself, keep doing it, keep up to, to speed on everything that's happening in the news, um, any changes to privacy regulations and all that sort of stuff so that you are answering those calls appropriately when people call in and ask those types of questions. So thanks again for tuning in to Protect Your Practice and we'll, uh, we'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening to Protect Your Practice, brought to you by BrightSquid. For a regular dose of privacy insights and tips, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'd be honored if you left us a five-star review and shared this episode with your colleagues. Find out how you can get expert privacy compliance support at brightsquid.com and click Privacy Compliance.